All right, everybody, welcome. Thank you very much for uh, your patience there and getting those questions going. So today is an open Q&A. And so what that means is we want lots of questions from you guys. They can be they can be on topic, they can be off topic, they can be anything that you want. And we've already got a few things going on, um, a few questions that have come in. So let's check some of them out. Uh, Steve was up first. Uh, he says, I'm playing an older sheepskin bag I got from another piper to try out. I noticed last night that there were globs and globs of seasoning chunks inside the bag, particularly along uh, around the stock opening. I spent some time trying to get as much out as I could. Is there anything else I should be doing or just play as usual and season as needed? I am really new to sheepskin and it really threw me for a loop. Um, okay, so Steve, globs of seasoning are normal uh, and especially like um, especially at the base of the stock, you know, where, where the tie-in is, you can definitely get globs around those um, inputs. If there's globs of seasoning inside of the actual stock, if there's any risk of the seasoning sort of touching any of the reeds, um, then I use uh, some brushes. You, you know, I have sort of a, I have a gunky, a gunky seasoning brush that I use um, to just sort of, I put warm water on there uh, you know, I get the seasoning out of there. Then I get a paper towel in there as far as I can and really try and clean off the inside of the stocks. Um, I don't know, Carl, are you with me out there? Can you uh, agree with me on that? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I mean, it, it's definitely possible to do a more radical cleaning with some hot water, um, but you, you definitely have to be drying that bag out for for several days after that. So if that if it's something that's becoming a big problem where you're always kind of constantly getting some seasoning that's pouring out and getting on your reeds, that might be a possibility. But generally speaking, that's fairly common. Yep. Uh, so Steve, that's a good question. And, um, you know, for me, the, the number one rule is um, don't let any seasoning touch the reeds if you can avoid it. Um, that With that said, though, if a little bit of seasoning touches your chanter reed or something, uh, generally speaking, it's not a big deal. It's just it's just a little bit oily, and uh, I've actually heard crazy legends to the extent that some of the famous pipers used to actually um, apply like really small amounts of seasoning to the reed to, in order to get it to vibrate better. So I don't know. Um, uh, there you go with that. So Steve, let me know if anything more. Yeah, it does seem odd. It's like any sort of waxy, gooey substance when it gets dried out. Um, it sort of forms those little globs and, you know, uh, try not to worry too much about it. And we just want to make sure it doesn't get goop all over the reeds. So I think that's a great question, especially for people who are newer to hide bags. Okay, Lee's question is going to require Carl's help, but he's having a conversation out there. I can hear him. So can uh, let's come back to that one, Lee. Let's see, Tom says, wondering if you could give some tempo guidelines for grade four and three solos. That's a good question. Um, and the answer is there's no rule for what tempo you should have to play. <clears throat> My general guideline is we want to play, uh, we want to play um, whatever tempo is required in order to exhibit really good fundamental technique, okay? Um, and at the grade four level, and even at the grade three level, 
a lot of times this is going to require a slower tempo than, you know, than what most people would say is a good tempo. Okay, let me turn on my metronome, for example, um, and I will, um, for example, let's take 60. What does 60 sound like? That's just a grade four tune. I'm kind of humming there. Yeah. So like <clears throat> 60. 60 is a great place to start with um, for players um, in grade four that are getting started. You know, 60 seems like a really low number. And you could even go lower than 60, I think. As long as they're exhibiting really good fundamentals at that tempo, that's okay. Okay. Um, it's, is it true that is it true that some judges might say, "Ooh, you know, um, that's too slow?" Um, yeah, it's possible they'll say that, but no, there is no such thing as a judge that doesn't have a black heart, okay, who would uh, actually give you a bad prize for a tempo that's too slow at that level, right? So if you know, or in other words, <laughs> uh, if, in other words. Um, if the worst thing they can say about your performance is that they wish it was a little bit higher in tempo, right? That's a good thing. Okay. Because what usually happens in grade four and even in grade three is players attempt a tempo that's too high and they don't get the fundamental control that they need over their performance. And they're overlooking really important fundamental aspects. Um, so I forget who asked that question. Who was it? It was Tom. So Tom, does that make sense? Okay, so we want, a, we want a conservative tempo that allows us to exhibit the fundamentals of good music making. So generally, for me, in my experience, it tends to be on the slower side of what other people are presenting. By the way, the same is true all the way to the higher levels. There's a lot of the players that take a, a more conservative approach tempo-wise and really exhibit the amazing fundamentals. These are the guys that do well in the long run. Okay, so uh, really awesome question. Hey, Carl, are you there for Lee's question? I don't know if uh, we yeah. lost you or not. Um, can you order custom cut bags? Uh, will the distributor be willing to make it? Yes, um, we have several options for that. Beg is a good one, and he'll, he will happily do that. Um, and it, of course, depends on what type of bag. But the other one is, is Lee and Sons um, also offers custom bags. Yeah, what about like what about some of your synthetic options like your uh, Ross or your Banatine? Do they do any custom hole placement? I don't know. Um, I, My, I believe that Banatine would. Um, I just don't know offhand. Yeah, and I said I I would suppose that uh, you're probably looking at a surcharge there, but that it's possible to get any bag custom cut, and we certainly have the connections to help folks with that if they really need to. Um, for sure. So Lee, I don't know if you're what type of bag you're referring to. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we we certainly we know the guys at Ganaway and they're really easy to work with. Um, you know, you might just be looking at a little bit of a wait time because they'll have to custom manufacture it, and um, and I'm not sure. I don't know if Ganaway would charge any additional surcharge. I doubt it. I think it, you'd probably be all right. Okay, let's move on to our next question. Um, Steve says, I am no longer in a band as there isn't 
one around having just moved. And I wanted to set my pipes up. McCallum with a Henderson ABW solo channer. Okay. What kinds of changes would I make? And do you have any recommendations on reads? He currently plays the Canard, not digging them for solo. Okay. Great question, Steve. Carl, do you want to start this one off? Uh, Andrew, uh, you, you've got to answer that for a second. Okay. Um, let's see. Yeah, I think there are, there are uh, definitely changes that you will make. Um, I think, you know, you'll definitely want to tone down the strength of your read and, and just overall your, your overall sort of robustness is less important as a soloist that it would be in the band. Like in the band, we want to have a really strong, powerful sound with tons of crackle. And um, you don't need that so much in a solo instrument. You can go for a more mellow harmonic instrument. And so what that means is, you know, you might look into different chanter reads, but you would certainly look into finding a nice read that has a nice breadth of sound. And it might not actually be that difficult to blow. That's entirely possible. And my, my solo setup is, um, I wouldn't say it's effortless, but it's certainly much less effort is required than my bandpipe. Um, now, uh, as far as drone reads go, I love the easy drone. I, and I love how easy it is to customize the strength. You know, like you said, I agree. Canard is typically maybe more finicky and maybe not as good for a solo setup. Um, I also really yeah. like, yeah, go ahead, Carl. The Canard can be that way. I, I, I just popped in the newest, their new evolution um, and, and kind of set them up for my solo read. Um, and those are a little bit more, more mellow. Um, so I don't mind that nearly as much, but I, I definitely agree with Andrew with the easy drones. They're so simple and straightforward and easy to use. Um, it, it's hard to go wrong with easy drones. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, easy drones, pretty good. I mean, Carl, what's your solo setup like? Well, I don't know. I'm always kind of playing with it. Um, this past season, I used uh, the old style canards and I had good success with them over the last. Uh, and then for my solo channel, I'm using a nail and the reed was a um, I used a G1 platinum for a while. And then the Chesney Warnock um, in, in my channel read. Um, but over the last few months, uh, the the, the drone reads haven't been as stable, so like I said, I just popped in those um, the new Canard Evolution drone reads in my uh, in my pipes just the other day, and I've been really enjoying those. Um, I don't know what what would be next. I could whatever I <laughs> you know can get a better tone out of. Cool, uh, that sounds good. Hey, and then the next question is about the inner game of music and. Some people have read it. Carl, have you read it? Because I haven't. I haven't either. Um, okay. I actually own the book, but I haven't gotten around to, to reading it. Okay, good. Nate, let's, uh, let's push that question back to maybe the, in the next week or two, because I would love to talk about it a little bit more. And uh, Nate, maybe you can uh, you know, give us a few summarizing points at some point, and uh, we can go into it. And who knows, maybe one of us can read it by then. Um, yeah, that sounds good. All right. Yeah, Rob Matheson does has also talked about it and recommended. The other thing too is Vin Janowski is hopefully coming back to the show in the next few weeks, um, which will be really cool. Uh, and I know he's read it because he reads everything. 
Okay, here's a good one. Good tune suggestions for beginning grade four band mini MSR. Right. So um, here's what I would do with that, Tom, is I would, you could take a couple of different approaches there. I think that uh, as far as the march is concerned, um, you could do a couple of things. You could do a four-parted, you could do a four-parted march, and there's a couple of marches that would be pretty good for that. Um, something like maybe a 79th farewell to Gibraltar, Walter Douglas, uh, you know, and if your band is more or less advanced, you could explore tunes like the Alpha and Bredalbin Gathering, Donald McLean's farewell to Oban, maybe, right? So you could go there. You could also think about two four marches that are two parts. Like, uh, and, and, and I could be off base here in regards to whether or not that would be normal. Uh, I don't know if Carl has any insight onto that uh, in, as far as that's concerned. I'm not overly familiar with the rules, so no. Yeah, um, and then as far as the stress bays and reels go, um, you know, look at, you could do a couple of things, but I would look at some of the classic two-parted stress bays and reels. Um, as far as exact, as far as exact recommendations are concerned, I uh, I'm so bad with tune names. I'm not the right guy to ask. Um, Which is funny because Andrew, you're way, way, way better at remembering tune names than I am. <laughs> yeah, I've always been kind of lame that way. The person to ask about that would be like Eric Oled or. You know, uh, folks like that that just know every tune and what it's called. Um, I'm not going to be much use there. Grave and uh, whatever that the other name of that is, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, let's come back to that. Maybe I'll th be able to think of that in a second. So sorry, Tom, that was pathetic. I know I'm going to do better. Okay. Hello, some people saying. Okay, Ganaway. Which of the two would you recommend for a beginning piper? Easy drones or canards? Gary, I can answer that. Easy drone, all the way. There's a reason that they use those two letters at the beginning. It's because um, they really are easy to work with. Uh, and Gary, easy what drones, type of pipes do you have? The only reason I ask, in, in some types of pipes, sometimes um, the easies can be a little hard to start. Um, but at any rate, now nah, you should be yeah. perfectly fine with them. Then. Yeah. What does he have? Uh, Dunbar. Yeah. yeah, that should yeah. be fine. So you, yeah, go with the easy drum. So simple, easy to use, and a great read to learn how to. Um, start to work with the reeds a little bit and calibrate them and, and adjust them. So, Yeah, some people are saying, don't you find the bridle placement critical? Yeah, that's the whole point. Uh, the cool thing about the easy drones is you can make adjustments to the bridles um, and you can calibrate them properly to the strength of the chanter reed much more easily than you can with a canard. Like the problem with the canard is, and, and remember we're talking about a beginning player, the problem with the canard is at least traditionally. Now, to be fair, I'm not as familiar with their new model, and I haven't played around with it much with our beginners. 
mainly because we've switched so many of our beginners over to the easy drones because um, the Canard traditionally had a problem with once the reed got to a certain level of easiness, then the Canard started taking too much air and double toning and they were unsteady. So there's a limit to how easy you can make them. And the cool thing about the easy drone is it's much easier to uh, get the calibration right. And a beginner should not only be playing on a well-calibrated instrument, but they should also have reeds that allow them to explore that a little bit, um, especially as they get as they start pushing towards the intermediate land where, where they're more and more responsible for setting up their own pipes. So yeah, I'm a big fan of the easy drones uh, for beginners. It also, it's the, grand, it's the grandfather of all of the other synthetic reeds really as well. I mean, um, it was, it's sort of that initial, that sort of very basic setup, which is, which is cool. Um, so, so there you go. That's my opinion on the matter. Nate says, yeah, is that why Canard is also making the easy calibrated read? Yeah, the easy strength read. Confirm, yeah, they, they, that is why, because they, they structure it a little differently um, to do that. The they, tongues, they do not. The tongues are cut uh, slightly differently. Right, right. Um, they, they don't offer the long options or low pitch options anymore because the new read fixes that kind of problem. Um, just as a, yeah. a, as an FYI there, but you can still get the easy and then regular strength. Yep, David Nichols says, uh, beginners should be warned that the movement of the easy drone bridle is minuscule. Yeah, that's true. And it, you know, the, the shorter, the, the easy drone has a very short tongue, which by the way, um, you know, I think arguably also makes it a little bit more um, stable in the long run once you get it set up right. Um, and then yes, uh, any any changes with those bridles are super super teeny tiny changes. Uh, but again, I mean that's I think that's a good skill to learn and it's a good thing to mess around with. So, but you're definitely right about that, David. All right, let's move on to our next question. Let's see where we're at so far here in the world. Uh, Lee says awesome. That's not a question. All right, is there a simple method of making sure your drones are the most efficient, or is it just trial and error? It seems every adjustment affects tuning and volume. All right. Well, there's a definite answer to that question. Um, and it is a relatively simple method. Uh, and we call that, John, we call that drone read calibration. And uh, rather than teaching it here today, I would, I would definitely point you to uh, Dojo University where, um, you know, where we teach drone read calibration quite a bit. And that's what we call it at the dojo. And it is, it is a simple method of making sure, in fact, your drone reads are most efficient. Now, it's true that um, it's true that every adjustment you make is going to affect the tuning, right? Because we're we're going to lengthen and shorten the tongue uh, in order to make the adjustments that we need to make. However, um, once once we learn the process, we'll be able to uh, we'll be able to get everything in tune really well. Okay, so. So John, I'm not going to give that one away, um, other than to say we definitely teach that here um, at the dojo. So so definitely check that out. Um, it is a very good question, however. Kevin says, has anyone tried the Henderson harmonics? I have not tried them. I don't think Carl has either. No, I haven't. I've 
I've met several pipers that have been playing them, and they had um, they had good reviews of them. Um, but no, I have not played them myself. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things. However, Kevin is saying uh, Duncan McGinnis as a four-part two-four march. That's definitely um, it's definitely a worth a worthy tune. I would go so far as to say, however, that if you're going to play Duncan McGinnis, I, I think you might as well be looking at tunes that are slightly more challenging than that, um, just because um, you know you want uh, Duncan McGinnis for me. It, it, it's lacking maybe a little bit of the meat, the meatiness that you're going to get with some of those tunes at just a slightly higher level. So if it were my band, I probably would not select Duncan McGinnis. Although, uh, let's not rule it out. I'm just saying, like, that would be my hunch on the matter there, Kevin. Edward uses the Hendersons and loves them, uh, which is cool. All right. Um, Ooh, this says, can the ferals be changed out? Ah, so this is, so Carl, you can answer this. Uh, Bruce, that's going to depend on what set of pipes you have. But, uh, so Carl, can you change, when you have a set of bagpipes, can you change the ferals? Or is that just not realistic? It, it is definitely possible, um, d depending on brand and age. Um, there are people that do that kind of refinishing work. Um, it, it is not a inexpensive thing. You can't just unscrew one, put another on. Um, so uh, that that definitely is a possibility, um, but it is not necessarily um, very uh, inexpensive. It, it can be quite an expensive undertaking. Uh, generally, people like um, we've had uh, several people ask about upgrading their their nail pipes to uh, some engraved silver. Um, and and so they're happy to do that. Nail is um, uh, they they do completely re um, kind of finish the pipes. They they um, will will kind of uh, work over all the material and make sure it's in top shape and and put on the new ferrules. And so that's definitely a possibility. Cool. Yeah. Good question. Um, uh, just a continuing theme. Steve says men of Argyle as a two four. If you can pull it off, that's a fabulous choice. Yeah, Men of Argyle is actually a very challenging tune um, because it's got a lot of those B to B terlewiths. Um, and so those need to be played fundamentally correctly and in unison. So in a band, that can be really tricky. However, if you can pull that off, it's going to really, really impress a judge. So um, if you think you can pull it off, that's a great way to look into. All right, I am really looking forward to this one. Chris asks, should beginners use valves on the stocks to steady the drones? Carl, I'll let you take this one. The answer is? <laughs> uh, the answer is no. No. Um, because uh, it's, it's kind of like using a crutch to learn to walk as a kid. Um, you don't want to use something else to, when you're trying to learn how to do the fundamental skill. Um, which is, is going to be striking in and then also managing your reads. Uh, you have to learn that first before you, you, you start using these, these valves. And arguably, if you, if you learn it from the beginning and you're diligent about that, um, you're never going to need those valves. Uh, there's a whole host of reasons why we aren't huge fans of them, um, and, and a lot of it has to do with the, the tone and quality of sound. 
Um, so that, that's my, my basic uh, answer is, is no, it's, it's a crutch and you should um, work with somebody who's experienced who can help you get those drone reads set up properly and then learn right. how to, to, to really manage the reads and, and strike in and cut off. Yep, and I'm going to expand on this by saying, Carl says we're not a huge fan of them. Uh, you know, and I will go that extra mile and just say, you know, um, our personal philosophy here is that there's nothing, there's nothing good about those valves. Okay. Um, now, it's not to say, you know, and I and I don't want to diss the product, right? Uh, the the product is cool, and the product does do sort of what it says it's going to do, which is it restricts the airflow to the drone reads. And so you do get, um, you, you do get a steadier, uh, and you, uh, certainly initially, right? So a player with bad blowing habits uh, and poorly set up reads will notice a slight improvement because things aren't going to be all over the place, okay? However, as, as you know, the dojo philosophy is, is always let's learn those fundamentals. So um, the reason the drone valves are bad is, is you know, in, in our point of view from a teaching perspective is because not only um, is it a crutch that doesn't help us learn the skill, but it also masks our weakness so we don't know that we have a fundamental problem, okay? And then, la you know, so, so for example, if we have this magical device in our drones that's masking the fact that we're actually blowing really unsteadily, we've got a problem. For example, if you're blowing unsteadily, right, even if your drones are magically perfectly steady, if your blowing is unsteady, then your chanter tuning is never going to be particularly good, right? There's always going to be notes that are in and out of tune, right? Well, what do we really need to do? We really need to learn how to blow uh, a nice steady tone at the sweet spot of the chanter read. We need to learn to calibrate our drone reads properly. Um, that's how we're going to get that immaculate bagpipe sound, okay? Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll just throw another analogy at you which is, I don't think Jimi Hendrix would have been famous if his guitar didn't have such an amazing tone to it, right? No one would care how well he played if his guitar was never quite totally in tune and it was kind of like a cheap version and uh, didn't have a great tone, right? Bagpiping is way, way more than figuring out what shortcuts we need to take to steady out our drone sound and to get good cutoffs. So anyway, that's my rampage. I sometimes get in trouble, um, you know, I sometimes get in trouble, I, in, and I want to make it clear. I'm not, I'm not saying the product doesn't work. The product works. I'm just saying you sort of methodologically, right, as far as how we teach and the best way to learn, um, we don't, we don't uh, support the drone valves. Um, and so there you go with that. It's definitely going to limit the sound, the volume, and the harmonic richness. Okay, uh, some people were asking that. Uh, Lee says, when can you give some feedback about the drone dry drone stocks? We still haven't received ours yet. Uh, we're we're going to get some in stock here pretty soon, theoretically. I think they're just overwhelmed with orders. So as soon as we do, we're going to plug those in and have some fun. Yeah, we're, we're excited about that. So hopefully real soon. Nate says, what if you want to use the valves to restrict airflow so you can still blow a big read while not having to open the drone reads as much? Is that a good use for them? Nope. Nope. Uh, you know, because 
even if even if what you're saying is true, which I would challenge, right? I, uh, you know, the harmonic the problem with the harmonic decrease and everything that you're going to experience is going to make all that effort you're spending to blow that big reed. It's going to sort of send it down the tubes, right? So we need that richness in the drones to really help the chanter itself resonate. So, uh, so there you go. Uh oh, did I accidentally make a pun? Uh, if if so, I'm sorry. I didn't uh, catch it. I'm I'm kind of curious what you said what now. <laughs> and by the way, while Gary's typing, here's here I'm going to make a I'm going to make a statement here. So. So for those of you who are out there thinking, well, my pipe band uses drone read, uh, drone read restrictors, and we get a good steady drone sound. Okay. If if you're finding yourself in that position, and I know there's people like that out there, I want you to take the drone read calibration challenge. So find a find a couple people in your band that understand drone read calibration. Okay. Make sure everyone in the band gets their drone reads really well calibrated to the chanter read. Take the drone restrictors out and uh, and then get everybody tuned up. And uh, if you don't absolutely feel like the drone sound is uh, immaculately better and that there are, you know, just as few problems with the tone as you had with the restrictors, right? I would be very, very surprised. Take the calibration challenge because proper calibration for us eliminates any need for uh, you know, those drone read uh, restrictor things. Oh, down the tubes. Nah, it wasn't meant to be a pun. Yeah, sorry. Sorry for that, for people. Um, good. Uh, we, I, think, I think we've sort of hit most of the questions so far. So what else do we have here? What else has come up? I just want to try those new drone dry, dry stocks. I'm um, excited about that. Yeah. If the if the bagpipe gods are out there, you know, help the uh, you know help the the post get them to us quickly because yeah, it sounds pretty cool. I'm still skeptical though. You know, it's like um, I, I still feel like conceptually the drone dries are messing with you know basic laws of of uh, you know of the universe, but we'll find out, won't we? See, I don't know how you mean that because, I mean, first of all, he's willing to, to replicate any stock that's out there um, in terms of size and, and bore and shape. Um, but generally speaking, it, it's just a straight stock. There is no, if you look down the center, it looks exactly like a normal stock. There, there's no obstructions um, in the stock. So, I mean, I, I, I think as much as, putting your your drone reads in a different pair of stocks um, or your drones rather in a different pair of stocks I think that'll be the only difference and and how much of a difference that is um, I don't know but we'll yeah we'll, we'll get to yeah. see there's still this there's still the problem of okay if it's really managing to keep your drone reads dry isn't it also extracting moisture out of the bag environment altogether yes you know that and so for me, when, when that happens, you lose harmonic resonance in the chanter. It's just like, that's been my experience. Um, and so, I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I hope these things work awesome. 
but I, I am still skeptical. Yeah, I think that because the, the drying agent is as far away from the bag as possible, that would be minimized a little bit. Um, you know, unlike some of the other systems where you've got that canister that's right in the midst of the bag and it's going to be getting, you know, most of the moisture that you're blowing into the bag is going to be going directly onto the desiccant. Um, so these, these do do remove it one level if, a, a little bit. But yeah, I think ultimately you're, you're right. Um, it, it's going to be extracting moisture from the entire system as, you know. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It, yeah, it'll I be quite fun to, to play with them. Yeah, I did. Um, I did miss that, Gary. Sorry. Easy chanter reads for beginners. Are you referring to practice chanter reads or bagpipe chanter reads? Yeah, easy chanter reads. Uh, we we throw Warnocks in there for our beginners. Warnocks are a good stable read, and they actually come really really easy. Uh, you know, if you ask for easy ones, uh, and so that's kind of where we go there. A lot of times though, especially if it's a super like little kid or or you know someone that that you know is having trouble with the coordination, um, you can take an easy read and you can shave that baby down to make it even easier. Um, and that's kind of what we do. That's kind of what we do with that. In the bagpipe world, what would you say is the most cutting-edge technology used today? Um, that one's easy for me. Is the the Peterson tuner. Uh, the Peterson tuner is is the coolest thing ever, and it works so so well. Um, Peterson is a digital, super advanced strobo tuner, and the way that we have it rigged up is yielding incredible results. Um, that'd be my answer. Yeah, I think from a from an electronic standpoint, that's probably the most advanced. Um, on a more basic level, the you know, the things like the bags today, the hybrid bags, I think those are are very kind of technologically advanced. And, and then drone reads, I mean, the design of drone reads, people have really been studying that. I, I mean, you, I guess you could kind of make an argument for, for any product. I mean, Shepard has has really gone the, techno, the, the technology route for making their, their channel reads. Uh, it's completely mechanized. Maybe not completely, but it's a largely mechanized production process, and, and I'm sure they spent a lot of money in, in um, development. So I don't know. It's a tough question. Yeah, it is, but uh, it's definitely cool food for thought. Um, what's a good grade for competition, Peabrock, that the judges aren't sick of? My response to that is good luck. Um, lately, I've been doing a lot of Monroe's Salute. Uh, Monroe's is a cool tune, and... Just, uh, you know, as, um, as a judge myself, if, I like when the Monroe Salute is played, and I'm not sick of it. Um, it doesn't drive me nuts. Like, for example, for example, in my personal opinion, Lament for the Old Sword kind of drives me nuts, and, and I, I've, I've definitely heard too much of that. Um, and the same goes for uh, Glenn Gary's Lament, um, and the same goes for... Oh, what's that other one? I don't know. But yeah, I like the Monroe Salute. It's got a really nice melody to it. I like the Company's Lament when played well also, and, and at least lately that hasn't been radically overplayed. Okay, uh, moving on, however. Joe applauds our stand on drone valves. 
Innovations in technology are always focusing on circumventing skills that would be obtained by simply practicing regularly and getting to know your instrument. Uh, absolutely, right? And, you know, shortcuts really do sell. I mean, we sell a lot of drone valves. Um, and, you know, um, we want to make sure people get what they want and what their teachers, you know, uh, advise them to get. But it's just, in our, in our point of view, we agree with you 100%, Joe, uh, which is that, you know, we have to learn the fundamentals. If you master the fundamentals and then somehow decide you want drone valves, like take a person like Rob Matheson, for example. I mean, Shots and Dykehead had lots and lots of success using drone valves. At least that's my understanding. So that, that's an example of a person who mastered the fundamentals and came to the conclusion that he liked them a lot. And so, you know, there's no rule against it. That's just our personal stances. You can get a much better tone without them. Lee says, Dojo, you is the greatest bagpipe technology on the market. <laughs> Certainly, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm tempted to agree. Um, all right. Deborah says, hey, guys, I've got a refurbished Granger and Campbell. Guy put in a Banatide hide synthetic bag with zipper. Any comments? Banatide hide synthetic thingamajig with zipper. I think that's a great, a great product. As synthetic bags go... That, that sounds like a great option. You know, we, we feel like you're going to get slightly richer harmonics out of a high bag, uh, but there's lots of lots of amazing pipers playing Banatine out there. That, um, and, and the high synthetic is such a step up from just the regular old, um, you know, fabric bags that <laughs> it's like you're not playing anything. As soon as you stop your pipes, they go tumbling off your shoulders. So... Um, we're big fans of those, and uh, a lot of people uh, uh, do play those bags. Yeah, um, Nate, Nate says the, the Strobo Tuner. Yeah, it, the Strobo Tuner doesn't use a line. It's actually got these little revolving circular things, and, th and the objective when you're tuning is to get them to line up and sit still. And it's a, So it's a different sort of visual interface, which takes a little bit of getting used to, but it makes it so much easier to tune, like once you get the hang of it, so much easier. All right, guys, one, one more question, and then we're wrapping it up. This one doesn't count. Do we have the external mic for the Strobo tuner? Yes is the answer to that question. Hang on one second. This is our rig here for the uh, Strobo tuner. Uh, let's go to video. So uh, it's kind of hard to fit in the shot there, but it, this is actually what we have rigged up because this is the tuner thing itself. And uh, uh, when you turn it on, on the assumption we still have battery life here. Yeah. When you turn it on, you get this sort of thing. Uh, and then the microphone up here. So we kind of hold it, kind of hold it with this hand, and then you put the microphone up over the drone, and then you can look down at the reading and tune the way you need to. So this is how we have it rigged up. Um, I know that uh, there are, like Inverary, for example, I think uses the Peterson as well, and they have a similar rig that they use. Okay, so, uh, so yeah, we do use the external mic. We have it kind of rigged up on a little dowel there. And uh, if anyone's interested, Carl's definitely happy to make to make those for people as well. So uh, good. How long should the blowpipe be? Um, the blowpipe needs to be the proper length. 
so that you can achieve good posture. So you want to be able to center your hands in the middle of your body. You want to be able to stand up straight with your shoulders relaxed. And then the blowpipe should just sit right there on your bottom lip for you. And that's the proper length and position for the blowpipe. Uh, so the easiest way to answer that question is adjustable. Yeah, get an adjustable one and then you can figure it out. Yeah. I both agree and disagree there. Like, I have a non-adjustable one, although I wish I could adjust it now that, uh, now that you mentioned it. Don't you kind of want it that, that quarter inch shorter? I do. Because I know I, I don't quite conform to the 11 inches. I, I, I kind of might want mine 10 and 3 quarter. Because I'm with you. I have the, the standard 11 inch Airstream. Um, but it's just maybe a tad too long. So it, we are really big fans of that adjustable um, blowpipe. And I think the only reason that we don't actually use them is that we haven't gotten around to getting them in and switching. Yeah. Um, okay. Next question. Do you tune your practice chanter? Yes. Yes. Although I don't lose sleep over it. So if, if one of the notes is a little bit flat or whatever, it's like, okay, uh, I'm not obsessive about it, but I do want to make sure my practice chanter is, is decent, okay? So that's not a bad question, Nate. That's a good question. Ganaway bag, post-playing procedures, swab the drones and leave the drone reads out. Scott, I'll tell you what I do. It's very minimal. I just take all the pieces apart for a while and let the natural air get in there and air things out. I don't swab very often at all unless it's super, super wet and I'm playing in the rain. Uh, you know, don't overthink it is my advice there. Um, Lynn says hacksaw is a good investment. There you go. Okay, uh, good. Let's wrap it up there, folks. Let's wrap things up, and uh, that's an awesome session. Thank you very much for all those really good questions. Um, just before we go, a special thanks to uh, Dave Atherton, who's a current sponsor of Dojo U. And uh, if you go to dmatherton.com. You can check out uh, all of his amazing pipes, or you can just Google him too if, if uh, you know, Dave Atherton bagpipes, and uh, check out what he's got going on. Uh, Dojo people are eligible for 10% off any sets that are in stock with him right now. So uh, make sure to support Dave Atherton, even if you just go to his site and, and look at some of his work. He's, he's the they're, absolute... They're kind of uh, works of art in their own right. Yeah. So it's definitely worth worth taking a look on his website if you haven't seen his quality yet. Yeah, it's really amazing stuff. And, uh, uh, and so we're super excited to have him supporting us. So thanks very much, Dave, if you're out there. And uh, good, let's wrap it up there. Thanks everybody for coming. And uh, this will be up in the podcast here momentarily. We'll see you guys later.